the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, July 9, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on July 9, 2004, a Senate Intelligence Committee reported that the CIA had provided unfounded assessments of the threat posed by Iraq that the Bush administration had relied on to justify going to war. Today in 1776, a Declaration of Independence was read out loud by to General Washington's troops in uh, New York. I mentioned yesterday that it had been, or day before yesterday, that it, it had been read out loud in Philadelphia. Well, today in 1776, the troops heard it right off the parchment. Today in 1918, 101 people were killed in a train collision in Nashville, Tennessee, one of the worst in history. Today in 1937, a fire at 20th Century Fox's film storage facility in Little Ferry, New Jersey. It destroyed most of the studio's silent films. The masters of those films were there. And uh, it was a loss as far as the film industry and the history of the film industry is concerned, for sure. But anyway, it was lost in a fire today in 1937. Many of them were, not all, but most, most of them. Today in 1992, Democrat Bill Clinton tapped Tennessee Senator Al Gore to be his running mate. And today in 1999, a jury in Los Angeles ordered General Motors to pay $4.9 billion to six people severely burned when their Chevrolet Malibu exploded in flames in rear-end condition, a collision. A judge later reduced the punitive damages to $1.09 billion, and the judge let the $107 million in uh, compensatory damages stand. Today in 2010, the largest U.S.-Russian spy swap since the Cold War was completed on a remote stretch of Vienna, Austria, airport on the tarmac. The planes from New York and Moscow arrived within minutes of each other. The the one plane had 10 Russian sleeper agents in it, the other four prisoners accused by Russia of spying for the West. And one year ago today, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio used a roller, a paint roller, to help paint Black Lives Matter, great big, in front of Trump's Trump Tower in Manhattan. I've said this before, but I will say it again. I have never, I've seen politicians that really didn't like each other. I've observed the political process my whole life from a very young man. And I've tried to pay attention to it because I thought it was very important. And I've always believed that Christians should be involved in the political process of our country. I believe it's a gift from God, the freedom that we have and the way that we have done things traditionally over time. And it, in that it's a gift from God, then we are to treat it as such, to whom much is given, much is required. And so 
I've always paid attention to that because it was important to the preaching of the gospel and doing the things that God has called me to do over my lifetime. So I've watched these people, and there's certainly been a lot of politicians that didn't like each other, I mean, for sure. But I have never seen the hate toward any politician that I have seen and we still see toward Trump. It is absolutely amazing. And I know I don't have to make that point to you. I'm merely making an observation because anybody that pays attention can see that. I mean, they hate him. I mean, to the point of action. This was just an expression of that. Out in the middle of the street, New York City, in front of his building where he lived at the time or had lived until he became president, painting Black Lives Matter. You know, it's just, I don't know. Someday, if the Lord tarries, and I believe we are really, everything is conditioning for the coming of the Lord. I really, truly believe that. And the Bible is very clear that such a day will come. But should time continue and somebody way down 100 years from now or whatever be reading some of the accounts of what we're living through now, they're going to shake their head and say, I can't believe it. What were these people thinking? Or the consequences of what we happen to be thinking today may be so severe that nobody will be reading anything about these times. But they're very, very unusual times. And um, as I said, the hatred is just stunning. So is the deception. The deception is everywhere. It permeates our culture. But not to worry, because the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. That doesn't mean you're a perfect person if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. It just means that your heart has been made perfect through your relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is nothing more important in this life that you will ever do than make that decision and choose to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Nothing. There's nowhere you can go, nothing you can accomplish, nothing you can learn, nothing that will will approach the importance of committing your life to Jesus Christ. And that simply comes by asking him to forgive you of your sins and confess in your heart and with your mouth in prayer that you do believe that he is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, for your sins and mine, and that he rose from the dead. The Bible says if you will confess that and believe that and ask him to forgive you of your sins and come into your life and transform your life, and he will, you shall be saved. That will be a transformational moment in your life. You cannot imagine what will happen when you pray that prayer. I know it's simple. People have stumbled over the gospel since Jesus himself was on earth. But it's true. And that is a transformational moment for every human being. And that's what Christmas and Easter was all about. God became flesh for you so that he could know you personally 
and your debt of sin would be paid by his son, Jesus Christ. It was a debt you could not pay, but he paid it for you. So that's a transformational moment, and I would strongly encourage you. I'm not talking about going to church Sunday. I mean, that's important. I'm talking about a transformational moment in your life when you ask Jesus Christ to become your personal Savior. That's the most important thing I have to say today, but I do have some other things to cover. Jay Inslee was tweeting day before yesterday. He tweeted, quote, A new group of scientists say the Northwest record heat was implausible, if not for climate change. He said there's a new analysis that's out. They also say, I'm quoting the governor, they also say these severe heat events could become more common, happening every five to ten years by 2040. If you really look at that critically, a group of unnamed scientists are saying that the Northwest record heat could not have made possible had it not been for climate change according to a new analysis. They, I always look at the word they with a little skepticism, and a group, so a group, an unnamed group, and they say these severe heat events could become more common by 2040. I mean, how can you miss on those kinds of predictions. I mean, 2040, are you going to be getting up every morning in the year 2040 to check out? If I mean, that's silly. Chelsea Clinton made a uh, comment on Twitter as well today. She said, please, please don't comment on kids' appearances. Please don't invade kids' privacy. Please don't joke about kids. Please leave kids alone and let kids be kids. Actually, I agree with her on that. I wish she really believed that. I wish her mother did as well, Hillary. They don't. She's saying that, I I think, probably with a certain degree of integrity in her own mind. But they don't believe that. They believe the opposite of that. The left cannot leave kids alone. They invade kids They joke about them. They won't leave them alone. And they won't let kids be kids. Because there is a relentless pursuit of your children and my children in America by public education. I've talked about it on this program and I've got to talk about it again today because there is now a pushback, a major pushback by parents. I'm delighted. I got to be honest with you. I don't care if they, I mean, how they do it. I'm just saying, praise the Lord. That's a good thing. Remember back in the good old days when those of us who are over 40 were in grade school and kindergarten, they didn't have kindergarten, at least where I lived. I never heard of it until later on. But anyway, I wouldn't have wanted to go to gone to it anyway. But remember Parents would, they would go to the school once a month or whatever, and they'd have 
PTA, Parent Teacher Association. For the most part, those little get-togethers were helpful and constructive. Kind of an association. That's why they called it Parent Teacher Association, PTA. That association in almost every public school across the country. And it was, for the most part, it was helpful and constructive. It was community, as they say today. The association between parents and teachers, though, now is frayed, if not gone, in today's great American pushback. I've written about it, as I said. I've talked about it on this program. The National Education Association declared attack on parents over the subject of racism in America. I talked about it this week. In their annual conference last weekend, over the 4th of July uh, weekend, the NEA told the parents of 50.7 million kids in public schools that they would teach critical race theory to their children and the parents will not stop them. It was that blunt. They made their point. A lot of people have been talking about this this week, and that's why I've got to come back to it, because parents are pushing back, and you need to know about this. Maybe it'll encourage you in your community to be first and foremost informed, and that's what we try to do on this program. And by the way, thank you to all of you who are standing with us financially. This is an effort that is really in the hands of the Lord, but it's in your hands as well, because without your support, I could want to do this and even feel called to do this, which I do, but I wouldn't be able to do it if you weren't standing with me financially. So help, thank you so much for your help and your support and certainly your encouragement and the kind words and, and all of that. But please continue to stand with us because we're in a time now where there's there's a lot of resistance and, and there's not a lot of restraint. And people do what they feel they need to do to silence and, and make things you know not work and so on. And I don't want to get into all that because this isn't about me. It's about us, and it's more importantly, it's about God and what he's doing in the culture today and an understanding of what he's doing through looking at things in the culture through the Word of God as a lens. But thank you for allowing us to do this and allowing me to do this and standing with us financially. We, it, I just never cease to be so grateful for you standing with you. I know you share the vision that we do. So thank you. If you have not supported us, but you feel that this is worthwhile, please do. Make a one-time gift. Become a regular supporter. We need you. We need your help. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. One black theologian... He, too, is concerned about this. He's a doctor, a Ph.D. He's wondering, though, if there isn't kind of a demonic spirit to all of this that's going on, particularly in regards to the attack on our children. I want to come back to that in a few minutes because I think it's worth mentioning. Faithwire, it's a publication, online publication. It says, by now you've seen the viral videos of parents and of all races and ethnic backgrounds speaking out against critical race theory being taught in their local school districts. I wrote about this Tuesday of this week, as I said, in this in our Faith and Freedom Daily column. I talked about it on the radio this week on Tuesday 
and I mentioned it again yesterday. But the NEA, one of America's most powerful unions, has committed itself to teaching critical race theory. And critical race theory is not just one of many points of interest that we need to touch on. It is devastating. It is hellish and demonic at its core. And yet they're relentless in pushing this on children, as relentless as they have been in pushing the LGBTQ whatever agenda. They seem not only obsessed, but sometimes possessed in their efforts. We are now learning what parents really think about it. They're showing up in droves at school board meetings all across the country, and they're not silent. Some of them are angry, some of them are well-spoken, some not so much, but boy, they're making their voices heard. The peaceful exchange at the local PTA is gone. Parents rightfully are telling their tax-funded local school district how they feel about CRT being taught to their kids. And for speaking out, some of these parents have been slandered, discredited, and in some cases insulted on national news broadcasts. You may have seen it, I have seen it. And I mentioned that the other day. But there is now underway a great American pushback. Axios is a not religious, not even really conservative publication. They put out a lot of news. They're usually pretty accurate. I don't agree with their conclusions often, but they're usually pretty accurate in their reporting. Their reporting efforts to recall school members are surging across the nation because of the implementation of this critical race theory in elementary and high schools. Just halfway through the year, there are at least 51 local recall efforts currently underway, and those recall efforts, those 51, are targeting 130 elected members of those school boards. Ballotpedia is a pretty much nonpartisan uh, group. I'm sure they have beliefs. Everybody believes something, but they're pretty much nonpartisan in what they publish, but they track those kinds of things. <laughs> you know, anything that's happening, there's somebody that tracks it. Well, these guys are the ones that track that. And um, they track election information, particularly regarding public education, but other stuff as well. But they're saying that's twice the annual average for school board recall efforts. In comparison, they're noting uh, this week that during a 14-year period, they only covered an average of 23 recall efforts against an average of 52 school board members each year. Now this, 130 elected members so far this year are under fire. There's somebody running against them, trying to replace them because of their support for critical race theory. The reasons in the past that parents have tried to recall board members, school board members in their community, had to do generally with bad behavior, mismanagement of funds, conflicts with district administrators or teachers, and refusing to listen to their constituents. That's we the people that pay the taxes. And violating open meeting laws. Those were generally the reasons. Now, not this time. It's all about parents refusing to allow government-run schools to indoctrinate their children. That is the issue. California leads the nation. There's 22 current recall efforts going on in California now. I can tell you with certainty there will be three times that many as we continue in this, in this year, this calendar year. 
Arizona and Idaho have six and four efforts, uh, uh, respectfully. Libby Emmons is writing for the post-millennial just this week. She's well-known in educational circles, very conservative. She made an interesting observation. I read her article in the post-millennial. She says, education, entertainment, and mainstream media all chant the same call and response. They all tell the same narrative. They each espouse the talking points of the far left promoted and parroted by the Biden administration. Evans says Americans hear daily from celebrities, politicians, pundits, sports figures that white people are oppressors and black people are victims, and these wrongs must be intentionally and forcefully redressed that historical wrongs must be righted by 21st century students, educators, and citizens. The pushback is not only coming from parents, but now, thank God, some political leaders are starting to lend their voice to it as well. They've sort of tested the water, some of them. Some of them have not. Some of them are real leaders. Some are not so much. I think we're going to see a major shakeout politically in the upcoming election, the midterm election next year. It's already the campaigning and the structuring of it is already underway. But I think I think we're going to see a major shift. There always is in midterm, but I think it's this could be something of record proportion because this whole thing is shaping up not good if you're a progressive. People are finally, I mean, the light is being turned on, which is what we try to do in our part here, but others are doing it. And the light is being turned on. People are taking a look at this for what it is, and they're saying, man, I had no idea. Who would have dreamed? Who would have thought? Never believed I'd see this in my lifetime, and so on. That's what people are saying now. And CRT is based on the premise of hate. And people basically don't get up every morning trying to think about who they can hate. It's just foreign to human experience. And some are wondering if this movement is kind of fueled by something even stronger than hate. I've seen even secular writers wonder out loud about that. What is driving these people? Why are they so obsessed with this? Well, there's a Christian theologian. He was on the 700 Club not long ago. Christian theologian, Dr. Vody uh, Bauckham, Jr. He has been studying critical race theory long before it became a household name in recent months. And he doesn't mince words. He's a straight talker, for sure. Working primarily in Zambia, he's a black guy, working primarily in Zambia as Dean of Theology at African Christian University, but he's an American. Bauckham has a unique perspective when he comes back to the United States. He's written a new book. It's called Fault Lines. I haven't read it yet, but I, I plan to. I'm not recommending it. I don't know what all is in it, but I know part of what's in it. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. But I, I would think it's a really good book. I don't think there's any part of it that I'm going to disagree with, but I'm going to read it. But he's written this book, Fault Lines, on the subject of critical race theory. He says, being removed from day-to-day -day culture, then coming home once or twice a year, he gets a sense of how far the dialogue is shifted. He says, I've come back three or four times a year for speaking tours, and it's always interesting to be an American expat looking back at the U.S., he says each time he comes back, he can sense the temperature has changed around flashpoint issues such as social justice, critical race theory, 
intersectionality and anti-racism. That, he says, is why he's written this book about those issues. He says, things in America are shifting so quickly and deteriorating so quickly. He said, I'm watching families be divided, churches be divided, institutions and schools and denominations be divided over this thing. Well, of course, Presbyterians, the Methodists now are in the process of dividing. Churches are being divided. Families are being divided. He he describes critical race theory as a demonic ideology and a religion without grace. The reason Bauckham says he believes it's demonic is because it has origins from Karl Marx, Antonio Gramsci, and their neo-Marxist successors in the Frankfurt School. He further explains that many Christians are caught up in supporting social justice because what Christian does not want to be for justice? What Christian does not want to empathize for people if they are oppressed? So I think, he says, there is a sinister aspect to the religious nature of this movement. That has people really led astray. The professor says, quote, but people are beginning to wake up to these realities. He offers some advice. He said this. This is his quote. This is not me. This is he saying this. You've got to be informed. (laughs) Can I repeat that? The professor says, You've got to be informed. You know I agree with that. And secondly, he says, when you're informed, be engaged. We have to engage and we've got to refuse to be bullied. He said, we've got to refuse to be silent on this one. Well, amen. I agree with him so much. As I was reading more than I've shared with what he's written about this topic I thought of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. To everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak. This is a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. And then verse 9 of chapter 3 says, What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? What does that mean? Verse 14 gives us a clue to what that means. Verse 14 says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it, that men should fear before him. It's interesting that that verse is pretty pivotal, and I know it has some theological, you know, uh, dynamics to it. If you're a Calvinist, you're going to look at it one way. If you're Arminian, you're going to look at it a little bit the other way. But what that what the Bible is saying here is that everything is as God made it, as not as it appears to us. His ways are higher than ours, and so on. That's essentially the truth that is in this, or part of the truth that's in this verse. We have the world so much in our hearts as a people here in America. We're taken up with thoughts and cares of worldly things. We don't have time nor the spirit to see God's hand in them. The world has not only gained possession of the heart, but it's formed the thoughts against the beauty of God's works. That's what we're seeing in our world today. But God doeth all things well. 
And that's what the Bible is telling us in this verse. God is in control. And nothing and nobody is going to change that. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday.